Welcome to the FinTech One-on-One Podcast, episode number 349. This is your host, Peter Renton, chairman and co-founder of Lendit FinTech. Before we get started, I want to talk about the 10th annual Lendit FinTech USA event. We are so excited to be back in the financial capital of the world, New York City, in person on May 25th and 26th. It feels like fintech is on fire right now with so much change happening, and we will be distilling all that for you at New York's biggest fintech event of the year. We have our best lineup of keynote speakers ever with leaders from many of the most successful fintechs and incumbent banks. This is shaping up to be our biggest event ever as sponsorship support is off the charts. You know you need to be there, so find out more and register at lendit.com. Today on the show, I talk with the leaders from Curve. Shahar Bialik is the CEO and founder. He's based in London, and Amanda Orson is the head of their US operations based in New York City. And wanted to get them on because Curve is opening up here. They've become a real you know, fintech leader in the UK and European markets, and we talk a little bit about that. But they've expanded here. They've had a waiting list for some time. I'm actually on the waiting list. And uh, they are going to be launching and actually in the process of rolling out to that waiting list even as we speak. We talk a little bit about obviously what Curve does, the difference between their the UK product or the European product and the way it is going to be in the United States. We talk about how the launch process has been. We talk about the buy now, pay later space and the impact the explosion there is having on Curve and how they see their product. We talk about their plans for the US market, how they view the card market in general here and uh, what their plans are. It was a fascinating episode. Hope you enjoy the show. Welcome to the podcast, Shahar and Amanda. Hi, Peter. Nice to meet you again. All right. Good to meet you and good to see you again, Shahar. Let's get started by giving the listeners a little bit of background about yourself. Shahar, why don't you go first? Shahar Bialik, founder and CEO of Curve, originally from Israel, this beautiful accent from. Basically, all my life, I've been an entrepreneur. It's my fifth company. Previously, I had four other companies, all been executed. Studied computer science, learn economics, an MBA from INSEAD. Now I'm in the UK in the past uh, almost 10 years. Okay. Amanda? My name is Amanda Orson. I'm the head of North America for Curve and responsible for opening up Curve to the United States. By way of background, I've been a founder, a co-founder, and early employee and investor in bootstrap startups principally. This is the first time that I've been in a venture-backed startup or a startup of this size. My background's not in fintech. My background is in starting businesses, but I've become very uh, fintech savvy in the last two years. Right. And how long have you been at Curve? Two and a half years, actually, just to come on it. Okay, great. So let's kick it off. I'd love to get the founding story here, Shahar, and just tell us about what did you see in the fintech market? and What were the trends you were looking at that really prompted you to launch Curve? Basically, if you go back in time to... 2012, 2013, what you start to see in the market is that a number one regulation, especially in Europe, started to become much more progressive to open the market. In fact, it started in 2009 with PSD1, and you started to hear noises of PSD2 in 2012 with other regulations that their entire job is to allow more competition in the market. What happened following that 
is what we call today the fintech revolution. I would actually claim it started in the UK and Europe first, because I started to see many different startups, small players coming in and trying to create a much better user experience or an user experience not on including UX design or UI design, but actually faster, better, cheaper products in the market. They focused mostly on the distribution side of the business. There were still legacy products or incumbents behind it. So for example, TransferWise or Azimo are good examples mm -hmm. where they had a better distribution layer, much lower rate, but behind the scenes was a deal they had with RBS and or Barclays to deliver the FX capabilities. When that started to happen, the question I asked myself is, what would be the end game for this market where newcomers coming in to play in the same game, in a way, of the same market with incumbents? And one doesn't have to go far away from understanding what is the inevitable outcome. You just need to look at the companies like Amazon who operates in commerce, Spotify that operates in music, even ASUS.com that operates in fashion. Eventually, what would happen, the market would have to rebundle itself mm -hmm. and new category kings emerge. It's something we already know empirically. Uh, there's a very nice article by the founders of Netscape back in the time, so very old time ago, that markets are always unbundling, rebundling, and pendulum movement. I mean, we knew back then, I knew back then, 2012, that eventually the market will continue to accelerate over time, over the next 10 years, mm -hmm. and eventually we'll start to rebundle back together into category king. The question then came up to me, which was, what would that end result look like? What does the product look like? We already knew about the iPhone and the smartphone, so it would be a good assumption or a good bet to say that the interface would be digital, not physical necessarily. And the other thing we included was that the market will converge itself and unify itself for the customer because of customer expectation of having everything in one place in real time and accessible with a tap. So that is what I'm describing to you, the super proposition that exists in the Chinese or Asian market today. Then the only question that left to me was, if that is the end game, what is the best product strategy to be able to win that race? What is the type of product need to build right now, ahead of time, ahead of everyone else, to be able to win that race? And the answer was, of course, Curve. And that's what we've done in the past six years, building that ecosystem to enable us to win that race. So then tell us, just take us through the, you know, how you describe Curve today. What is the core product and what do you do? So Curve is a layer three super app, a layer three in a sense that it's going over the top of the entire payment ecosystem, both traditional ecosystem where you have banks and networks, networks like Visa, MasterCard, Open Banking, SEPA Payments, ACH. And on the other side, there's the DeFi ecosystem, a new ecosystem of finance that have existed where you could find blockchain, or layer two networks like Ethereum and Lightning and so forth. Basically, our money today as a customer is across multiple geographies, multiple financial providers, whether they're traditional providers, banks, newcomers, neobanks, or DeFi providers, whether it's activities on blockchain, Lightning, and different products provided by those players in the market. What Curve does is creating another layer on top, a layer three, that goes on top of all the traditional DeFi ecosystems and unifies them together into one single network, one single point. From that point, we call it internally the processing engine of Curve. From that point, we're able to provide the customer as financial super app. And the way we've done that is embedding ourselves into the payment flow of the customer. So we are able to aggregate or disconnect the form factor, the way you pay 
from where your money is. Mm -hmm. And on the other hand, it creates an ecosystem that enables our partners to tap to those customers and offer them products and services that they could not have offered before that because they didn't have enough data or did not have the user experience to be able to push those products to our customers. Right. So Curve, in a sense, is a layer three super app that is embedding itself in the financial ecosystem of the customer and unified experience for the customer. And by doing so, creates a marketplace to all the partners to come in. Okay, well, we're going to dig into some of what you said there in a little bit. I just want to turn to Amanda first. Maybe you could give us a sense, Amanda, of firstly, like what attracted you to Curve when you first took this job? I mean, you're running the North American operation. Obviously, it's a massive market with more potential than even the UK market where Curve has done really well. So what attracted you? I think that it was probably the opportunity to do something that was much bigger than that which I had done before on my own, that I liked the story. And the more I talked to Shahar, the more I thought that this would be the kind of horse to win the race. One of the challenges in the United States is that it is exactly as you say, it's a giant market. It's a very saturated market or something like 4% of the world's population and a third of its ad spend. It's a very expensive market to break into. And a lot of the European and UK challengers that have come here haven't done well. I can cite N26 because that business is exited, but I know that others are also struggling to sort of find footing here. Curve actually felt like the right product to take this market because it is an aggregator. And I think the real differentiator is that it is implicitly consumer-centric, not bank-centric. Their interests, our interests are aligned. We're not forced into this commoditized position of having to take deposits and having to lend and thus always prioritizing our owned and operated products at. Right, right. So then I want to dig into some of the product features because you, what you offer, and we were talking before we hit record here, that you really have a differentiated product set that I don't know of any company that has the capabilities that you guys have anywhere in the, in the Western world. So tell us some of the features. Maybe start with Go Back in Time, which I think is a, a really unique thing that I'm sure is appreciated by, by many of your UK users. What are you doing there? The infrastructure we built for the past five years, uh, what we refer internally as layer three infrastructure, the over the top, allows us to get unique access to multiple payment forms and networks. And because we have access to all the payment forms and networks, we're able to do remarkable things that others just incapable of doing. There's not the capabilities, technical capabilities of doing that. And a good example for that is indeed the global time, which allows you to change the payment method you've used even a year after you've made the payment, actually three months in the UK and Europe. As a customer, the reason I'm enjoying this feature, this experience is because sometimes I'll make a payment on the wrong card by mistake. Sometimes I'll make a payment on the wrong card because instead of a personal dinner, it was a business dinner and then I have an issue with my content so they can fix it with a tap. And sometimes customers just need more cash in their accounts. So they can go back in time up to a year ago and move transactions from a debit account, checking account, to their credit card, thus getting free cash into their account. There's also other users of customers who like rewards, for example. They realize that actually the card that was rewards is card B. So they're moving from card A to card B once they realize that. They have the freedom to manage their cash flow and money at their time, not the time under pressure at the till. But go back in time, I think, is just one example of these capabilities. What's more remarkable is the economy of scope that this product allows us to do and a good example of that is what we've done with Go Back in Time and BNPL type of product and introduce CurveFlex to the market, allowing customers to go back in time up to a year ago and pay later hmm. from any transaction made on Curve or any account connected to Curve. So if I've connected my checking account where I get my rent into this account, into Curve, and Curve have underwritten the risk of the customer and affordability and allowed the customer to have a credit line sufficient, the customer is able to swipe to pay later 
and they would get the entire amount of the rent immediately into their checking account and would pay their rent over the next three to 12 months as they choose. This is again, a mutability of curve that no one else has in the market. And it allows us to basically scale this type of experience of being PL, leveraging our go back in time, which leverages our unique infrastructure to have much stronger management of your cash flow and better access to affordable credit. So without giving away your secret sauce, how do you do that? <laughs> how do you do some of the things you just described there? The idea behind it is simple. The idea behind it is similar to an action where a customer would go back to the store he made the payment and tell the merchant, hey, I'm sorry, I've made a mistake. Could you please refund card A and charge me again card B? That's in principle what's happening behind the scenes. But obviously enough, things usually don't look as simple as they are. And I think that's one of the unique capabilities of Curve to present a very simple user experience despite having a very complicated or complex product behind the scenes. And what happens behind the scenes is that there's multiple networks that we're connected to, each network connected to multiple issuers or funding sources, card A, card B, if you'd like. And we've created an exchange in a way, this unified aggregation point that knows to speak or create a translator that Visa can now speak with MasterCard and MasterCard can speak with diners. So our ability to create this translation layer could aggregate and connect the various networks and therefore banks, issuers, acquirers, and any other participant in the network allows the customer to go back in time. But the idea behind it is very simple. It's as if you're refunding the initial transaction and capturing or creating a transaction on a new card. Right, right. Got it. Okay. There's another thing I was looking on your website and I saw anti-embarrassment mode. Can you maybe explain that, what that means and how it works? Many times customers go outside into a date or a dinner with friends and they just may not have enough money on their account, either because it's an account they had to load money and they forgot or either they just out of pocket. And this is a very embarrassing activity, especially when it happens in social settings. And when you think about how we operate as a product, we always look at a customer behaviors and experience and what customers' jobs to be done are to be done. And jobs to be done can be functional jobs. I want to get from point A to point B. But the majority of the strongest jobs to be done we have in our lives are actually social jobs to be done or emotional jobs to be done. And the anti-embarrassment taps to social and emotional jobs to be done. When I make a payment, I want it to work because I don't want people to look at me and think I don't have money in the line to get my coffee. So the anti-embarrassment allows us to address that concern or that social emotional job and how we do that. As a customer that loaded many of their cards into Curve, we now have access or full view of all their finance. We know exactly if they can afford this transaction or not. So even if one bank or one issuer or one type of card or pot of money cannot complete the transaction because of insufficient funds, we are still able to go to other accounts to complete the transaction because we know the customer can afford it. It's just that this bank, for some reason, couldn't afford it. Right. That's in a sense in the core idea behind anti embarrassment Okay, so Amanda, I want to turn to you and get a sense of you know how the U.S. offering is different, how the customers that you're talking to in the U.S., the different expectations they have, and just you know we're recording this on March 9th. You're right in the process of launching here. So what are you doing in the US that's different to the UK? Actually, I want to acknowledge, yes, we've just released to our waitlist. And while we're recording this podcast in a separate screen, I'm getting active inquiries from people DMing me on Twitter. So yes, this is very, <laughs> very live. This is live, live. 
So in the US, the market is dominated by a lot of cards, but that's actually a serving curve. Curve seeks to be customer centric and simplify your financial life by combating the disaggregation or the fragmentation of everybody's personal financial life right now. So we want to be the central point of contact. We want to make everything cleaner, simpler, easier, more convenient so that you know exactly what your money is doing where. As points of difference between the UK and the United States, the American product is a credit product, and that changes some of the features a little bit. For example, in the United States, the go back in time product is limited to one statement period. We will have a persistent 1% rewards for the premium tier card product once that's out. And our beta users will enjoy 1% per the terms of our current beta agreement that we've just launched. Travel will have zero FX across the board for Americans and our anti-embarrassment mode will fail over to our credit line. So with the Curve US product, you can use the independent credit line assigned to that account or you can use it to essentially simplify the way that you pay by repaying through an underlying funding card and or using our front end credit product. Okay, so that means in the US now, if you open up a Curve account, you're getting a credit card, not a debit card. Correct. Interesting. Full KYC and onboarding. Right, gotcha, gotcha, okay. Shakar, maybe you could tell us, I'd love to get a sense. You've been in the UK for a while. You've been a, I mean, a success story that I often read about in the FinTech press. What scale have you achieved in the UK to date? So we're operating today in 31 countries. Well, actually, 31 countries and the US. So but 31 countries is all of Europe and the UK. We're also a country. <laughs> yeah, in the US. Do you have to start saying 32 now? Yes. 32. <laughs> 32. So we have 32 countries, which is all of Europe, UK, and the US. We have offices in Lithuania. We have offices in London, where our headquarters are. We have offices in Bristol, where our customer experience, customer support is headquartered. And we, of course, have our headquarters for the U.S. in Brooklyn, New York. In terms of customers, we managed to achieve a bit over 3.5 million customers in the past three and a half years since we launched out of beta in 2018. We have about 467 employees at Curve, and we're growing nicely. I think that's the highlights. We raised almost $20 million today, which is to me, sounds a lot. In the market today, it's not much in the fintech market, but it shows you a lot about the frugality of how we operate, as well as the type of product strategy we chose. It does not require so much capital as neobanks require. Right, right. First time I read about this was right at the beginning of 2020, probably before the pandemic, that you were planning expansion to the US. And then when the pandemic hit, I'm just wondering, did that sort of delay things or how did that impact your launch here in the US? I think that the first five, six months of our expansion into the US was choosing a city and then initially vetting the strategic partners that would make up the, the infrastructure for Curve in the United States. There's almost no overlap between strategic partners between the two countries. The US is an apples and oranges environment to the United Kingdom. Right. So that was all the big work. We opened our office in Brooklyn and got a lot of press around it at Wall Street Journal and Cranes. And unfortunately, the real estate brokers still continue to call me. <laughs> I think that was February of 2020 and then March of 2020 happened. So all of that office opening stuff went right out the window along with everybody else's for the next several months. We had employee two, the head of product and Pazwalski join us in June of 2020 and the third in July. And then we didn't actually have a full team until all of the strategic partners had been chosen, the high fidelity wireframes, the product construct, et cetera, had been developed until March of 2021. So between March of 21 and September of 21, 
a new team fully formed created a credit product in the United States from scratch, mm -hmm. from nothing. Right. And that's been the, the story of Curve US to this point. And I think this is just to end here, tells you the story about the strength of our team. I think one example was in actually 2020 June when we had Wirecard Gate and were able to reintegrate the new processor issuing and acquire in under 60 hours, things that usually take three to six months right. for a usual company to do. The team in the US were able to, and it's not just the team in the US, the entire curve team were all in our mission to launch in the US and were able to spin off a new credit product from scratch in the US. Mm -hmm. The other thing you probably have listened from Amanda is that we have not taken the approach that many other startups have taken when they cross the pond from Europe to the US of that, that just our product works here, it will work in the US. We knew the US market, we knew them, Americans has different problems. And we took an approach of we're going to revisit everything on the product to make sure we are a very fine importance of the product to the US market, all the way from wireframing and product construct and partnership as we heard which is an approach that in our view will make us much more successful or increase the likelihood of success beyond just the product differentiation we have, which is unique, but actually the approach we've taken to the product, which is unique. Right, right. And to your point, I think, um, you know, America's quite famous for, it's the most card-centric country, I think, probably on the planet. The average person, I think, has two or three credit cards. That was in your calculations, I imagine. But I'd love to get a sense maybe of, the target market in the UK and the target market here, are they the same or different? So the standard target market we have in the UK, and I will let Amanda to complete it on the US, you have to again come back to how we operate. You won't find anywhere in Curve those personas, demographics, and those language of millennials or zennials, or I don't know what it means. <laughs> what you would find a lot is just to be done. So we have customers who have credit cards and want to travel abroad and spend with their credit cards without FX. Those customers only have one solution today. Don't use your credit card and instead use Revolut or other FX products. But by doing so, they're losing the benefit they get from a credit card, which is a 30 days cash flow credit line and rewards. With Curve, we can allow you to spend your credit cards abroad with zero effects. Make all your credit cards zero effects. So we're going to all the customers who like their credit cards and like the rewards. We know where they are. We know who they, how they look like. We know what they're trying to achieve. We know how to target them and get them to us for that proposition. We have customers like you and me, and I'm sure Amanda as well there, but we have a lot of cards because we have a business to manage, we have a personal life to manage, we've been traveling a lot in the world, we like our rewards, so I have too many cards in my wallet. I want to get all of them together in one place, and I always want to use the right card. So we, you know where these guys are hanging out, and we know how we can give them a position that will resonate with them, all your cards in one, double dip rewards, and so on and so forth, the job to be done continues. And when you look at the US, those two elements, for example, are very much relevant also to to the US customer base. And we'll let Amanda to speak more of that. So in the United States, we definitely are thinking about things in terms of discrete audiences that we can solve unique problems for. The US is far too big, 331 million people with far too many different kinds of potential ways of attacking their problem sets to attack everyone as a homogenous whole. What we're trying to do is identify specific market segments where we solve an implicit problem. So a good example of that would be the traveler segment for whom the zero FX proposition would be very compelling in the United States. That's a small percentage of the overall pie, but it's one for whom we can solve a very unique pain point and problem. Mm -hmm. Another would be rewards buffs and points junkies. We know that that particular market segment would be very interested in this card because they could get 
insight and oversight of all of the various card products in their portfolio, one view, one look into it, and be able to basically make sure that they're always paying in the way that they want to pay in a way that actually gives them back what they want. Right. I think that we have some other exciting product propositions that I won't give away at this point that will give us additional wedges into the market. But essentially what we're going to do is attack one part of the market, solve their problems, then focus on another part of the market, solve their problems, and then over time form this accretive whole. Interesting. Interesting. Okay. So then obviously you've got a waiting list. I know um, I'm on your waiting list. Maybe you could tell us how large the waiting list is and begin going through that before you start really actively acquiring customers. I haven't really seen you out in the market trying to promote yourselves yet. Maybe you can tell us what your go-to-market strategy is. How are you going to be acquiring customers here in the US? So right now, I would say that we're still stealthy. We're rolling people in off of our waitlist right now in a very thoughtful and deliberate way because this is a complex product and we want to make sure that all of our backend systems are robust and doing exactly what we believe they're going to be doing with small tranches off of our waitlist at a time. But the reason why we've been withholding is that we want to sort of fall like a thunderbolt. Like we want everyone to know about Curve kind of at the same time and to feel suddenly ubiquitous in the core markets that we really care about. So that's at the core of our go-to-market strategy in the United States. So do you have a timetable on that? (laughs) Obviously, you guys know that we're rolling people in off of the waitlist as of today. We'll be continuing to roll in tranches in accelerating groups of multi-thousands in the coming weeks. Okay. Okay. Great. So then maybe you could just talk about like buy now, play later. I know Shahar, you, you mentioned it. It's hugely popular in this country. I know it's big in Europe as well and the UK. You know, do you feel like that's sort of a wedge point? The fact you can convert any purchase, it sounds like, into a buy now, pay later type thing. Is that really something that you're emphasizing? Is that, you know, how do you think about BNPL? If you talk with anyone who grew up in Israel, Turkey, Brazil, or South Africa, they will ask me about how to use the credit cards. They're all likely to tell you the same answer, which is, I hardly use my credit card. I just split into installments. In Israel, every merchant you go, split into three. Doesn't matter if you have money or not. Why not? It's free. I have a lot of concerns with the way the market has taken BNPL, specifically around the fact that it's not being posted to the credit bureaus, which means that customers can get themselves unknowingly into persistent debt and a very not favorable financial state. However, what I think BNPL has identified extremely well is that they found a very clever way to acquire a lot of customers Mm -hmm. for almost nothing. But none of the BNPL seems to actually understand or realize the business they're in. They think they're in a business of making money from merchants and from interest, which may be their, their business, but actually we see BNPL as a way to enable increased sales to our partners, merchants, and the ability to onboard them into the Curve platform where we know how to make money from those customers through aggregation strategy. And when you come to the product itself, another thing which is really important is that ubiquity experience. Doesn't matter where I go in the world, doesn't matter which merchant you use, online or offline, I want to be able to split into installment. And I want to be able to split into installment to have full control of what's the debt I'm incurring. And that's what Curve can offer. You can go any merchant, offline, online, anywhere in the world, any transaction, and swipe to pay later. And I think this is really powerful to our customers because it's the only experience that allows them. No other company can do that physically, technically, they cannot do that. And so far, we launched out of beta, Curflex in in the UK in December last year. And so far, the results are phenomenal. How people are repaying their debt, the liquidity rate, which is under 1%, the amount of credit lines, utilization, 
customers take, but more importantly, what they don't do. They don't take persistent debt on their credit cards. Instead, they manage their cash flow based on the increments inflows they have every month. So they become more responsible because they know exactly what's the sum cost they have every month, rent, grocery, and so forth, and what's the liability they have for total lending every month, and they know they can afford to repay that. And that's what drives the slow delinquency, partly. Also, the fact we have more data on the customer, we also better position to ensure the customer can afford it and avoid the customer to lend irresponsibly and enter into a very negative financial position. Right, right. And Amanda, do you feel like the BNPL kind of offering is going to be pretty compelling for the US consumer as well? So we are a credit product, meaning that we've already credit scored implicitly the user base. So with respect to a lot of the people in the BNPL space, some of whom I, I respect a great deal, uh, one of the things that strikes me from the outside looking in is that most BNPL products in the United States are a really bad deal for consumers. Right. They're not actually reporting if they are paying on time, if they are delinquent they're getting the knock and a lot of them are having a hard time remembering what's due when, and it's increasing the likelihood that they'll fall into arrears. So with Curve, you have one one central point of contact. The ability to borrow is based on you as the user, and it's in one pane. I think that being able to see everything in one place, having that convenience and that level of oversight is very compelling. And having it be tied to the consumer and not to you know any of 75 different merchants you might have purchased something at in the last 60 days, it's an improvement on the user experience. Right, right. Okay. Well, we're running out of time. I just want to end with sort of, it's a unique product, unique approach to the market. You know, there's a lot of ways you can take this. I can see um, really insight into purchase behavior probably more completely than any other fintech company out there because you're seeing all the cards and bank accounts potentially and everything. So so what's the vision? I mean, where are you taking this, Shahar? To understand the end result, you should ask the question, if I was Visa or MasterCard today and I had to build MasterCard and Visa today, what would it look like? Let's answer the question together to visualize together what's the end game we're, we're trying to get into. So if I'm trying to build MasterCard today, it will not be a physical form factor. It will be the digital interface, probably on my phone. I will not merely aggregate banks. I will aggregate all the financial ecosystem that exists in the market, both traditional FI and DeFi, traditional finance and DeFi, banks, networks, payment networks, and so forth. And I'm going to do that because I want to make sure that all the volume comes through my ecosystem, regardless where the money comes from, regardless if it's in a bank or if it's in a wallet or it's in crypto or it's in dollars. The other thing I would do is I will not just allow issuers, banks, to get access to my interface. I would also ensure to share with them the insights and data we have to allow them to underwrite risk better and ensure they personalize the product to the relevant customer. I will allow them to, with the customer permission, of course, to target and originate customers with the right populations. And because Curve have all the required information for underwriting risk or KYC, we already have it on the customer, that network would be able to share it with a partner to onboard that customer with a tap. So what did we achieve in all of this? As a customer, I have one super app that connects me to all my finances and allows me to discover new financial products and services. And if I want to get access to better insights, if I want to get access to an expense management tool, if I want to get access to a selling product. I just go to a place called Curve Connect where you have 
like an app store for money. You choose a product and you install it. And then you will have a small applet in the app for which you can access those beautiful services that they themselves create a better experience because they can access the data that we have on the customer with the customer permission. And from the partner side, the ecosystem side, they're able to originate and onboard customers and authenticate them to their needs. So it's a much more competitive market, much more personalized, much more in real time, and much richer with data. Wow. Well, that's a heck of a vision. I think it's going to be fascinating to follow your story, uh, Shakar. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Amanda, thank you as well. Really appreciate it. And best of luck as you launch in the US. Thank you. Thank you very much, Peter. You know, what I love about Curve is that they are truly innovative. They're doing things that haven't been done before. They're approaching this in a new way. And uh, I'm just a big fan. As I said, I, I hope to get my Curve card. I'm a rewards um, and miles junkie, so that's sort of one of their target markets, and I will be uh, – using their offering to maximize my points there. I like the idea of just carrying one card with me and uh, being able to sort of use any of my credit cards within that one curve card. So I think it's going to be great. The vision here, I think, is really significant. And as I said there, I mean, there's a lot of ways that uh, they can take this. They're not just coming to the US market to try and just be a me too player. They have got a differentiated offering and I really think they're a company to watch. Anyway, on that note, I will sign off. I very much appreciate you listening and I'll catch you next time. Bye.